For all of you who listen to Submersion and own an Android device, go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android device. I personally use the app and I love it. I can search for the podcast I want to listen to, select it as a favorite, and have it just a click away. Make sure you select Submersion as a favorite so you don't miss any of our new episodes every Thursday. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic app, available on Android devices. Episode 103. Woo! 103. Do we, do we have a format? Do we just say 103, or do we say like 103, 103? What do they say? when If you had a submarine that was like... 103 because each have a th- like number right like 629 right, yeah. Ooh, how do yes. they say it think of uh U5 U5 571, yeah. you know? so yeah, 103 think we think episode and, 103 and he said 103 i think that's i'm i'm good with that i uh took one of those disc personality tests and i'm compliant that means i i will comply i just need the rationale i think we got it you took a personality test yeah for work you never you had to you, take one for work? Yeah, you've never done like a disc analysis or anything like that. Nah, it's pretty common. It's either. pretty common stuff. I don't. I don't like believe in it necessarily. Um, I feel like you're gonna get a lot more using your intuition uh, when you know engaging with someone. But yeah, I got. Uh, there's four different categories you fall into: D, I, S, or C. D is like dominant i is uh influencer s is steady and c is compliant and i am a c o is ointment o is ointment that is a person that is very topical um Mm. in social situations but i am compliant and steady okay if i walked into the interview and i was shirtless with gleaming abs would i i guess dominant d Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, DI probably influence. You're gonna influence them to your will because that's they're true. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> they're gonna see those abs, and they're so? just gonna listen to everything that pours out of your mouth. Yeah, exactly. or they just change the I from influencer to intimidator. So everything that pours out of mouth, you mean all the mashed potatoes on me? That's a bold strategy. <laughs> wow, I like shirtless mashed potatoes in the mouth, just ready to roll. Yeah. Yeah, before we get uh, the sirens blaring here, we are back with uh, week three of the uh, post-apocalyptic movie month. So uh, we want to keep people on their toes for what to watch for next week. So uh, next week, if you want to join and and, uh, join the conversation, share some questions, be sure to watch On the Beach, the 2000 TV movie edition. It is available on YouTube out there. Um. And, somehow uh, even somehow even longer than the version we watched <laughs> this week. Hey, it's, that's yeah. that's for after the that's for after the <laughs> sirens. So we got to talk about something else to get the sirens to come back in here. Uh, okay, we, we got our we got anything. A, we got a conventional three man going on right? with anyone lately in quarantine life. Anybody been doing anything interesting, fun? What what's been going on? Um, no, I mean, I'm I'm for the still foreseeable future. I got an email today saying you're still working at home. So that was. Nice to see. I've been back in the office now for two weeks, um, back to a full 40. Uh, We had uh, a little bit of a furlough there uh, as everybody kind of slowed down. We work with hospitals and education, and those groups were either shut down or preoccupied. So 
made sense that we had to kind of um, reciprocate and slow down a little bit. And uh, but we're ramping back up and back to the work life. There you go. I've been there playing a lot go. of I've been playing a lot of Retro Bowl on my phone. It's a game that Zach the Backbone, or pardon me, uh, the gruesome twosome uh, uh, Zach shared with me. Very fun little app. I've been playing. Not a sponsor, but uh, it could be. I just it's like, started it's like Tecmo Bowl. I just started War and Peace. I'm reading that now because I'm in. I guess like so much time in the house. Very good. And as That's you exciting, can deduce, Jamie. good yeah. for you, man. Yeah. We've got we've got Jamie, Kyle, and myself tonight. So we are back to our our super team of the trusty trio. Uh, Jamie and I were talking about it before the podcast. Our first appearance was episode thirteen. Well, we're all back together for one hundred and three. Wait, really? Thirteen was the first time it was just us three. That's yeah. correct. That, you know, you know what you know which you movie were, it was? And you came in when? Like episode, when was eight that nine. Black Sea yeah, I was say eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. I did an uno- yeah. we did an unofficial recording on eight. I watched Black Sea, but that one never made it to air. So was it K-19? Was that the first one? Yes, that's correct. I and feel like 13, I even remember that. I remember that one. 13 was... you're like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> who is this soulmate? That's going to be the co-host with me and Patrick Whoa. when we start our twin immersion podcast. <laughs> All twin movies version. about twins. Oh. Dive, 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 dive. What began as an innocent conversation among friends would soon spiral out of control and later be referred to by future generations as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Mac East Studios takes you on the journey of your lifetime as your captains, Alex the Mustard Man, the artist formerly known as Brom, Jamie the Ointment, Kyle El Capitan, and Zach the Backbone present Submersion. Very good. Fire fire firing all cylinders there. Yeah. There we are. Good. I didn't want to give away too much, Jamie. You know what the future shows that. We're going to be rolling out here, you know? Yeah. Well, I just, just, twins are everywhere if you keep your eye out for them. Twins. Speaking of twins, twins. uh, (laughs) uh, Mary Kate uh, Olson uh, announced, I think, today or yesterday she's filing for divorce from her French husband of five years. It's back on the market. Back on the market. If you are interested in in the original twins, the Olsons, uh, Mary Kate is back on the market. But uh, uh, we were just mentioning, Kyle, do you remember what episode 13 would have been when we had this trio for the first time? 13, huh? So The Abyss was 10. Stinger was... Oh, oh, wait, was that Destination Tokyo? No. What would that one have been? You're on the right track. (laughs) Because you've already said it. It's Stinger. (laughs) Oh, it is Stinger? Oh, okay. Uh, Yep. Greatest movie we've oh, ever man. watched. Still, I actually should run my algorithm again, see if uh, all of a sudden we have a connection that's better than the one I had before. Probably not, because probably no one in that movie has acted again since then. I was thinking about that movie the other day and how it was so bad. And then if I watch that movie, I don't know, 30 years from now, and be like, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. I'll be like, yeah, it was really that bad. It, I mean, it's... It's the worst thing I've ever seen. For new listeners who have not started from scratch, 
Stinger was <laughs> uh, Stinger was about scorpions, uh, bioengineered bioweapon scorpions, mutant scorpions on a submarine. Yeah, it's also the reason I don't give out zeros because scorpion is or Stinger is the only zero. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> so. Yep. I mean, you listen to what Brom just said, the biomutated scorpions on a sub. How could you go wrong, right? Oh, they went wrong. I mean, they went very wrong. wrong. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Stinger. We're not rehashing history. Nope. We're back. Like we mentioned, week three, post-apocalyptic movie month. Said next week, watch On the Beach. Well, this week, we watched the original On the Beach from 1959. And I will say, fun fact, when I first mentioned to my family that I was doing a dumb podcast about submarine films, uh, they, my dad was like, oh, you guys should watch On the Beach. It's one of my favorites. That was a little fun like, factoid. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised that we have nice. waited till this long. This is kind of uh, right on the cusp of kind of a classic submarine movie. I guess it's kind of the yeah. submarine kind of takes a little bit of a backseat. It's not it your does. conventional submarine combat movie. So maybe that's why it doesn't get referenced in all submarine circles. But yeah, is, literally uh, it's the backseat, backseat of the car that the person drives around, puts the submarine right back there. Pretty well-regarded yeah. film with a 7.2 on IMDb. Yeah. And two Oscar nominations for Best Film Editing and Best Music and a Golden Globe win for Best Original Score. I was so, a little surprised by that Oscar. Like, I know, not the, the score I can see. The editing, uh, I felt like at times it was a little choppy, but I think maybe it was just the style back then. It was a There were some choppier. things that, yeah, were a little odd, and we can get into those. Yeah. Uh, I would contend with the score a little on. bit. I, really? I liked, I loved, I mean, the, 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 but it was one song, you know, they just had one. Yeah, it was just one thing over and over. Yeah, the waltzing Matilda song, which uh, is I, I recognized from uh, Civilization, uh, Civ Six. The it's only thing like, I will say is that this was, I, this was a little, I think a, a little ahead of its time. So probably at the time, a lot of this stuff was new and interesting. Like the editing, I'm sure, was. Absolutely. Pretty good. But like it, it mm-hmm. being an apocalyptic film itself, there's. I don't even know how many there would have been at that time that really dealt with the idea of an apocalypse. It's like 1950s. Like how many films are really even considering it? It became a much bigger thing with the nuclear bombs and stuff like that. But that wouldn't have happened. This was only, what, a decade after the end of World War, World War Mm -hmm. II, when we used the nuclear bomb to like end the war. It's like 11 years later, there's a movie about nuclear bombs like ending the world. So, pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, on the yeah. cautionary tale vibe of it all. Yeah. Yep. So, 1959 film starring Gregory Peck as Dwight Lionel Towers, Ava Gardner as Maura Davison, Fred Astaire as Julian Osborne, Anthony Perkins as Lieutenant Peter Holmes, and Donna Anderson as Mary Holmes. Ah, beautiful. Mary Holmes. Beautiful lady. Definitely recognize Gregory Peck from To Kill a Mockingbird and Anthony Perkins I recognized as the uh, Psycho. Yeah, from, from Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock's and, Psycho films. And Fred Astaire is very, I thought he was incredible in this movie and it's kind of funny this is his first non-musical role. Yeah, he he's, he's typically a dancer and musician, right? Yeah, I just felt like he was so expressive with his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess maybe that's years of uh, kind of being that performer and that show. I mean, he was like a child star as well um, on vaudeville and stuff. So uh, that I also thought Ava Gardner was incredible. I thought both of them were really, really good. Um, Really well acted overall, but we can save that for later because let's get 
get we into it. We probably get into it. Okay, so we open up, and we're not on the beach yet. Yet. We are uh, on a submarine, and we're getting some classic submarine action. I'm seeing this. They're doing, you know, turn that knob, do this thing. They may as well have had a wrench and a fire going uh, at that point, because they were, basically, it seems like at that point that you're in the middle of a World War II film, because they're going up, they're checking stuff out, blah, blah, blah. But then it turns out that they're just heading into harbor at Melbourne. And at first, I actually honestly thought for a second, is this not an apocalyptic film? Because when you first are watching it, <clears throat> submarine cruising into Melbourne, a lighthouse keeper watches them go in. And I'm like, huh, doesn't seem like too many things are messed up. But pretty quickly, when we get into Melbourne, you start to see that things are a little messed up. All the streets uh, are empty except for bicyclists and electric vehicles. They basically have run out of gas. Horse and um, buggies as well. Yeah, and they've run out of gas. And then a lot of the military is pretty ramshackle. So you have this American submarine come into port. But otherwise, the Navy, you know, you see one, there's a kind of a character who's made up just for the film, wasn't in the original novel, but kind of an admiral with a Os, Osgood or something, uh, his assistant. And they're kind of in like a um, state of disarray at, at all times, uh, kind of just like, Wondering whether they should even be doing the work that they're doing because we what we get what we come to learn is that uh, nuclear bombs there was a nuclear war uh, pretty much the entire world was destroyed except Australia wasn't involved and so the radiation hasn't drifted to the southern hemisphere yet or at least to that portion of the southern hemisphere and so Australia literally is the only place left on Earth as far as they know. Does anybody know when the game Risk was invented? Because if I remember correctly, Australia is the place to have if you want to win. It's like unbeatable, right? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know. I thought <laughs> I there was a thing. Isn't, isn't, isn't the Ukraine strong? That's a joke sure. from Seinfeld. The risk. Oh, it's God. a risk joke oh. from Seinfeld. If Zach was here, he'd know what I was talking about. Anyways. That, uh, cult classic uh, show is some article we were reading referred to it as. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, what? <laughs> uh, anyways, we then we also get a sense that, so there's Peter Holmes, and he, him and his wife are kind of living what would seem like an idyllic life. She's beautiful. He's handsome. They have a little mm -hmm. baby. He's like she's very feeding the baby. She's, she's very beautiful. She's very. She's like a, got a real timeless look to her. Like, you could yeah. pluck her out and put her in the current era, and she'd look like a contemporary woman yeah i don't i don't necessarily i'm not sure because she didn't act for a super long time so i you know it's hard to necessarily get a sense of whether that was because she wasn't able to make it as an actress or maybe she just decided to do other stuff or whatever but yeah she's striking like really striking and um they seem to have a very idyllic life but uh, at the same time, he's in the in the Navy and has to kind of like make his way into Melbourne because he has a potential, uh, he has a meeting to go to and stuff like that. And it's it's clear that his wife is struggling with the idea of uh, what is happening because really they, they know that even though they've been spared right now and everyone's kind of pretending like things are okay, that at some point the radiation will get down to Australia um, due to the current air currents and stuff like that and everyone will die. And so they they think they have like what was it three months or five months or something mm -hmm. um, like i said it was it was about five, five to months six, at this yeah. time yeah and but they don't really know like some people are like well maybe it'll be less and some people are like well maybe it won't ever come here and some people are like well maybe it's already lifting elsewhere in the world and all kinds of stuff like that uh so she's not doing super great with that and he's trying to be a little bit more realistic with it and that kind of becomes the crux of the entire film yeah which is like their love story and kind of their 
life and how they're dealing with the apocalypse. Um, at the same time, he goes into Melbourne and meets up with the admiral, and he's basically like, "You're going to be a liaison on this submarine because they're going to be. We're going to send them out on a mission. We have this American submarine, but America is gone, and so they're going to help us out with this scientific mission that we're going to send them out on. And part of it's that they want to see if a theory that the radiation is lifting in certain places is true. They want to check out um, a major city, which is San Francisco." And see if there's any chance that anyone survived in certain areas. And then a third thing is that they have like a, uh, they're hearing some Morse code from San Diego area. And while they don't think it's anyone because it doesn't make sense, like none of it's not actually Morse code. There's no words or anything like that being made. They have to check it out just because it's the only thing they can hear, like in the entire world. So they're going to send the submarine out on this and they're going to use uh, Peter as kind of their their emissary on this to just kind of integrate everyone into the Australian uh, Navy. He's going to be the liaison. So he goes on and meets the captain, played by uh, Gregory uh, Peck, uh, Dwight Towers. And almost immediately, he's a, he's a little bit of a strange guy. He kind of he, – he's also not dealing with the uh, situation very well because his family died. It's interesting because he later, he goes into more detail later as to exactly why this is, but it's a very submarine-centric reason that he's struggling. Uh, in the end, because um, we hear in these movies and stuff like that, this idea that you go out and, you know, military families, I guess we just saw it in the command, right? Kind of a sense mm-hmm. that if you go out on these missions and stuff like that, there's a chance you won't come back. And the family back home has to like deal with this mental stress of that idea uh, all of a sudden. And that's in his mind, he was like, I would be the one that died. But instead, it was his wife and two kids who died, and he was the one who was saved. And so it's kind of this reversal of the normal thing that has totally broken him in a lot of ways. He's not, like, really functioning. He can only function through his work. So anyways, Peter— Well, he's handling it pretty well, Jamie. He's taking the I'm not going to believe that they're dead approach, you know? Yeah, that's a good one. So that's the I best think, way to handle it, What is right? that? So he's, he's proceeded from uh, stage zero to stage one. Of grief. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> like That's a yeah. baby step uh, to that. Uh, but anyways, like Peter takes a shine to him, thinks he's a pretty good guy, and uh, invites him over to a party. They decide, we're going to have a party. Uh, I'm going out on this mission. It's going to be a while. I'm not sure what's going to happen while we're out there. It's going to be like three months, and who knows, maybe the, the radiation will come quicker or whatever. So they're going to have a party, and Peter's wife is like, Mary's like, no talk of what's going on. Just let's have it. Let's have it be fun, because otherwise I can't handle it. And also, I can't handle if this goddamn sub captain cries all over the place because his family's dead, and he sees our beautiful wife, a beautiful life, and your beautiful wife, and your beautiful baby, and starts like bawling his eyes out. And Peter's like, he won't. He seems like cool. Don't even worry about it. <clears throat> so, anyways, they bring him out. They have a. They have their friend Moira show up, played by Ava Gardner, and she's like the town drunk. She's kind of also not handling. I mean, I guess everyone's, in retrospect, everyone's not handling the apocalypse very well, which I guess is understandable. Uh, she's taken to drinking, and uh, they meet up, and there's a pretty much instant chemistry. I mean, she is beautiful. She's kind of a mess, but she's like beautiful and very fun, and that's the thing. I think he's like this submarine captain who's kept everything really uptight but with his family dead and stuff like that. He's like buried himself in his job, and all of a sudden there's this like spark of life uh, in front of him. Who's kind of like throwing him a curveball, and so they're at the party and they're having a good time. He's drinking like a fish, but she Mora is like, "It's amazing he can drink so much. Look at that manly man 
can handle is liquor. But someone who can't handle liquor is a uh, scientist named Julian, played by um, Fred Astaire. And he oh, is, yeah. he is going on and on and just basically everybody's trying to relax. He's like, we're totally screwed. I helped build this bomb. This is it. This is the end, guys. He's like, why don't you just relax, man? Yeah. It's like, no, not a chance. We're <laughs> all going to die. None of this matters. Let's just get drunk. Right. And, and so Ma- Mary's not happy about that at all. Was like, fuck no, that. she kind of freaks out. Yeah. There was something that was really funny, though, I thought at the uh, one of the beginning of this party. There was just somebody, it was a real short scene, an older woman talking to one of the guests. She's like, yeah, my husband and I used to travel all over the place. And he'd always say, I'm an American, no matter where he went. I'm an American. I'm American. And finally they shot him in the, what, the Middle East or something (laughs) Something like that. that. And I was like, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just like a short scene. And I was like cracking up about it. So anyways, the party uh, disperses at the end, and uh, the captain's going to stay there for the night. So is Moira. And they have a talk, and Moira's shit-faced. I mean, talk about some good acting. She does some great drunk acting, uh, and she is shit-faced and basically, like, can't really even handle herself and asking a whole bunch of uh, questions and stuff like that, and eventually just passes out in his arms. Well, she, all right, let's get one thing straight here. She, she wants him right now. I think, I think she basically, I think there was an, an understanding, let's say, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> uh, she was supposed to be his date for the evening and she was quite willing um, to be his date. Oh, okay. An arranged date. In some perhaps. ways, yeah. And, but anyways, she passes out, he takes her to bed, uh, wipes her face with a towel real quick. That's one scene that we get, but otherwise it's very gentlemanly. <laughs> that is an odd scene. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's so, what everybody does, right? If you're putting somebody to bed, you're just like, hold on. Let me, let me wash your face. Towel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Good to go. I mean, that's one thing no I got to do. In the that's morning one thing for I, you. I got to do before bed. I, sometimes I might not be able to brush my teeth. I'm just too wasted or something, but you got to at least wash the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're just like, wow, I'm going to feel so good tomorrow morning. <laughs> so as this is kind of going on, um, the next morning, uh, she shows up at the submarine. Everyone's like, holy shit, look at that lady. She's some hot stuff, and we don't have hot stuff like that around the submarine very much. And she's like, where's the captain? And everyone's like, ah, wait, this bunk. And they go get him, and they're like, uh, there's a lady here for you, and she's banging and the captain's like i know who that is <laughs> i'm gonna go check her out so he heads to a bunk <laughs> and is like check her out. and it's like you can't i want to take you on a tour of the submarine but you can't take a tour looking like that and he says a bunch of funny jokes about like how sh- good looking she is and uh how like everyone wants to bone her and stuff and then he's like put on this suit so that you can tour the submarine and she comes out and she sees Julian, the the drunk scientist there too. And is like, what are you doing here? And it's like, well, I'm also going on the mission because they need a scientist to do some measurements and stuff like that. So I'm going along. And they they kind of like go back and forth a little bit. And before the mission goes off, we get a bunch of scenes of them growing closer and closer, Moira and the captain, um, as they go out sailing. And she's like real, uh, you know, I don't know, fun and flirty. She's like purposely capsizing the boat just for funsies to get them in the ocean and uh they like wrestle <laughs> on the like sand. a good old time right 
But even and even then things take a turn, don't even, they? Yeah, even Peter and Mary are are looking at them and they're acting like kids. And Mary's like, "You don't wrestle me anymore." So they they seem they seem like young loves, kind of like uh, you know youngsters just like living their life and in love. And then all of a sudden, he calls her by his dead wife's name, and everyone's like, yeah. "Oh shit!" I was like, "Man, you guys." No one could play it cool because I yeah. feel like there's a way to <laughs> not be was, so awkward. Everybody's like sort of looking down. They're like, they're like holy goodness, shit. man. What is, <laughs> dude, what did you just do? And I, for a second, it happened so fast that I had to like re I'm like, what? Did something like catastrophic just happen? And I was like, oh, okay. Just called her Sharon. And I was like, oh, he called her Sharon, man. Yeah, yeah. You don't do that. Right. So that kind of like puts a bit of a monkey wrench into their um, relationship uh, for the time being. Uh, Peter, before he goes off, he's he's mostly fretting about the idea that he would leave and the radiation may come early. So he wants to get some suicide pills because they're going to be distributing pills so people don't go through like the sickness um, and kind of like die a painful, long, painful death. And so like they're going to get out suicide pills. And he's trying to get some early uh, for his wife and kid just in case. And, and Mary is basically delusional uh, at this point and kind of like, no, no, I don't want to listen to you. You're a murderer. You want me to kill our child and stuff like that. And he's he, – I mean he's very emotional kind of being like, what am I supposed to be uh, – this is, this is what I need to do and this is what I'm, I'm supposed to do. And yet it's like – it makes me feel like a monster. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so, well, would. Like I mean, emotional. it's like a, I mean, it's a pretty big, yeah, dilemma, it's a, right? it's a very emotional to deal thing. with, yeah, yeah. When I was sitting there watching this, I was like, my god, yeah, you know, like, I've got a kid, <laughs> like, right. if you ever have to go through something like this, yeah, that'd not, be the toughest thing you'd ever have to do. Not the most typical storyline for our submarine films that we watch, no. uh, or for a movie from the 50s, but right, yeah, 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 whatever. yeah exactly. So anyways, um, just before they're about to leave, Mary kind of, he goes, she goes to talk to Julian and he kind of reveals that basically they're about to head out. They're heading out like literally the next morning because Moira comes, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, not Mary, Moira goes and sees Julian and she just, she kind of just wants someone at that moment to, to love and be with and stuff like that. And Julian's like, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, but yeah, we're leaving. And unfortunately, that means that the captain didn't let you know that he was going. Yeah. But one thing that's very important here, she finds Julian in his garage working on a Ferrari that he has just purchased. A Ferrari Spider, in fact. Yes. Very, very. That type of car, I think goes for millions of dollars. If you had if you had one of those cars, you could sell it for several million dollars. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. And so anyway, Ferrari Ferraris spiders worldwide. worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyways, they head off on their scientific uh, voyage at this point. Uh, they head up first to the Arctic uh, where they do some measurements. And basically the theory that it's dissipating up north as it heads south is just not true. Um it is very high levels of radiation, and that's not going to work out. That's the first place they go. Then they head over to San Francisco, and basically they look, and it is a disaster area. I mean, the no one's around. Golden Gate Bridge is empty. They look on the main main street of San Francisco. No one's over there. They're wondering even where the people are. Like, if everyone is dying, shouldn't there be dead bodies everywhere? But it seems like the idea is, like, everyone kind of retreated to their homes to die. 
And so I, they take turns looking, and then there's one guy on the submarine who uh, his family lived in San Francisco, and he's like, I want to take a look. And he goes and takes a look and is so distraught that he basically jumps out of the submarine, uh, escapes, and swims out there. And they're, they're kind of calling to him, and they're asking him like to come back and how long can he be out there. He can only be out there an hour and stuff like that. And eventually it's just like he's clearly not going to come back. They find him fishing the next morning. They talk to him through an intercom, and he's basically like not feeling so hot, but I'll see you. I mean, basically like I'm good to go here. It's fine. My family's dead. I found them. They're not alive. And this is where I'm going to die. And they're like, okay. And they leave him. Well, I did make a pretty good joke or whatever. They're like, well, if you don't feel well, he's like, well, he's like, if I don't feel well, he's like, don't worry. There's like 3,500 pharmacies I can hit. Or right. Yeah, yeah. Like gonna, he's going to find something to take to kill himself. Uh, so then he, then they head down to finally to San Diego for the last thing, like basically to see if there's any, uh, any reason to check out or be concerned with that Morse code. They send someone out he's in a big suit. He's only got an hour. So they, they're going to let him know each, every 15 minutes, uh, that passes so that he can run back to the submarine. Uh, hey, did you know, did you notice what he used when he was exiting the submarine and flooding the hatch? Um, he banged he, he with a, on with a the side. Oh yeah, it was a wrench. Yeah, obviously. Banged on the side. I was like, clutch, dude. They know what's going on here. Yeah. And he runs up there. He runs into a power plant because part of it was that it had to have been coming from a power plant. It had to be a hydroelectric because otherwise the entire grid was out other than the hydroelectric. So he runs in. He finds the room where it's coming from. And there's basically just a happenstance. A Coke bottle fell over. And was attached or fell fell into got wrapped up in the windows uh, a window blind string and started tapping on a Morse code thing. So I guess the idea is basically like, given how many places in the world that have Morse code machines and stuff like that, one of them had this accident that was able to give out a random signal. So he closes yeah. that off. He basically gets rid of it and he shuts down the hydroelectric plant because it's gonna probably break anyways shuts it down and goes and one back of the, to the things that i don't know if we even mentioned earlier is this morse code signal was very broken and not clear at all and that's what they kept you know mentioning like wow whoever did this needs to go to morse code school or whatever because it was so broken and we find this out so it makes sense yeah so then they returned to australia and basically i mean it was a complete failure the mission so what we end up seeing at the end is, is them and the main idea of the film, which is kind of like life and love and how it is that you would want to live at the end. So you have the captain who is very resistant and had all these issues with his family and and stuff like that kind of come back and be like, I don't care anymore. Like, I just want to be – I just want to be with you, Tamora. And they start living a happy life together. Um, kind of leading to the and, end. And he makes a, I mean, this <laughs> ridiculous quote that I I was like, wait a minute, did he just say that? He walks up to Mora and he's like, is my invitation to spread fertilizer yeah, still valid? That's so weird. It's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. Was that, <laughs> was that actually a euphemism? euphemism? Like, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Classic pickup line. Yeah. And then she's we, like, uh, yeah. duh, of course it is. And then uh, Julian, he actually does enter the race, the Australian Grand Prix. And this was probably, 
I don't want to say like it's fun to have like a fun sports thing in the middle of it, but like probably the worst part of the movie, uh, just from like a quality point of view and stuff like that. It really looks pretty rough. Um, yeah, not realistic at all. The scenes, especially of him head on, yeah, driving the car. So I guess I mean, I, yeah, that's a good. Copy the other yeah. stuff like where he's like cars are rolling yeah, and yeah. all that. Yeah. I mean, that looks good. But that was fun. Do you think that was models? I couldn't actually because it seemed like it had been very dangerous. Do you think they were just empty? Yeah, cars there, there's exploded? some stuff that if like if that was real, like if there was someone in that car, I mean, they're dead. Like the car blows right. blows up. I I was reading an article and I can get to it later, but it talks about. But they did. Okay. okay. You can save that for later then. Yeah. I, I didn't so mind it as much because I kind of liked, I, I think they were playing at that he was willing and like willing yeah. to die out there. You know, right, exactly. Like, he was, was very calm. This, I mean, was how, this was how his all exit the was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the thing you got from the sense of the head on is that it was almost like he was driving down the street to get some milk from the grocery store or something. Like yeah. he was just very calm as like cars were exploding all around him and stuff like that. It just is. It's tough. It's it's one of those things that for older films, sometimes you have these scenes that just don't look the way that you sure. Uh, yeah, just from a visual anymore. standpoint, obviously yeah, yeah. it fell short. But I, I actually like the scene, and he actually wins the race, and he doesn't even. Yeah, like, it does. takes him a while to smile, like because it's almost yeah. like he didn't think he was going to win and planned to die yeah. out there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you that's thought true. he was going to lose. Yeah. I mean, quite a bit. As soon as like they're out of the gate, he almost like gets off the road and kind of gets spun around, but then. Like wow, maybe he's not that good, and then everybody's spinning around, blowing up, catching fire. You're like, well, I guess good, Julian's doing better than them. I guess that's a good point, Brom. I guess I didn't really think about it that way. This idea that this was his way of suicide, mm-hmm. and yet it failed, and he won the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the whole point because again, he he won and he didn't even smile until like ten seconds later. You're like, well, okay, I'll take what I got here, and yeah, just starts to crack a smile. I guess I would have – what I would have liked then is that at the end of the movie, he drives a car and explodes. Well, he's still in it. He's still in his car <laughs> when he goes. Yeah. I just – I guess I, guess I, would, I guess I would have I would have liked them to complete that circle if that was the point for him to I then like die in like a fiery crash. But um, so anyways. One of my favorite parts in this scene though is our sub-captain is there – Full uniform the whole time. You're like, what's going on here? He is not going to break character. Yeah. So then, and at this, we go on a fishing. Are you talking about? Yeah, they go on a fishing. I trip was going to say, yeah. At this point, he's like, hey, by the way, I heard the uh, fishing opener is a couple days early. Let's go to the mountains with me and ten thousand of my closest friends. Yeah, I actually, and and I will say, this scene, while um, at times annoying because of all the singing that went on. Uh, oh my gosh, I do think so it was, long. It was a really beautiful, and I guess I guess this end, the end of the movie as a whole, um, especially given the fact that I guess I was distracted during the racing scene. The more that I'm thinking about what Brahm said, the more I'm liking that racing scene. Then you get this fishing scene, which is really beautiful. It's kind of this really annoying thing. There's people everywhere, and there's these these. I don't even want to say that an acapella group. No, no, yeah. drunk, drunkards, drunkards yeah. singing a drinking song, waltzing Matilda. And they just keep on singing it over and over and over again. They're singing it at the watering hole, but then back at the hotel, they're just singing it, singing it, singing it. And it seems like it's ruining everything. It's super rainy there, stormy there. People are everywhere. There's this annoying song going on. But them being together, slowly all of this morphs into this beautiful acapella version of the song that you clearly see like it's symbol it's supposed to be symbolizing how like even in this t- just like everything shit 
the beauty of them being together in that moment uh, creates a romantic atmosphere in what is otherwise a totally not romantic atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And the camera goes into bullet time. Did you notice is that? that? Right? Yeah, no, they, I didn't. They, they had it. They had to have had it on like a rail or something. It goes in like a perfect slow motion circle that wraps around uh, Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner as they embrace and then uh, kiss. Yeah. So smoochy, smoochy. So that was really time. beautiful. It was really oh, we're cool. Good. Uh, we're close, yeah. We're real close. Yeah. So then, at this point, everyone is starting to develop some radiation sickness. You see, the first people start to do that. There's a, there's like a bunch of kind of rallies in Melbourne, kind of being like, "Hey, life goes on. Like love is like it's just still time. Let's like have like life or whatever." And uh, a lot of, a lot all of that fine, kind of there's stuff. like the fine God stuff. There's still time, brother. Yeah, I think that was to um, like get people to find salvation with uh, Christianity. Yeah. But I thought then, that was like a Hulk Hogan tribute or something. True. <laughs> Still time, bro. <laughs> Find Jesus, brother. Uh, and so, yeah. But then you're also seeing everyone line up for their suicide pills. You're seeing uh, Julian kill himself by carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. Um, and Mary has gone into a bit of a... I mean, she has, she has pretty... Um, deep radiation sickness um, and she's gone into more like a comatose state of sorts and Peter goes up to her and is kind of trying to snap her out of it and they have one final lucid moment together kind of describing what is the title of the uh, movie which is remember when we first met when I first saw you on the beach uh, you were so beautiful and all this stuff about like the love that they had uh, kind of this last moment together before they all end up um taking the suicide pills um, and killing themselves. And then finally, the the last part of it is uh, the captain is with Moira, but informs her that they took a vote and the crew wants to try to make it back to die in America. They don't want to, they would, they would like to try and attempt to make it all the way back. And it's probably not going to happen, but they're going to try. And so unfortunately he's going to have to leave her. Uh, So, he gets on the submarine. It kind of sails off. She drives up to the cliffs to watch it leave. And as it leaves, um, she uh, kills herself, right? I think it just gets – no. I think it just rolls. It just rolls. Yeah. Well, yep. presumably she eventually dies. Her, yeah, her watching uh, the it, sub go off into the sunset. And the last scenes of the movie are the empty streets of Melbourne as everyone has died. So overall, an uplifting film. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Especially had in, that in my notes. a global pandemic. And then at the last moment, you see a mutant emerge from the sewers. <laughs> you're like, oh, And you're yeah. like, oh, shit, the sequel on the <laughs> beach, too. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's on the beach. That's on the beach. Classic. Who wants to go first in terms of reviewing it, giving their review? I can go first. There he goes. Do it. All right. I know we've held off on this movie for a while, for whatever reason, and I'm glad that we finally got to it. This movie absolutely shocked me. I did not expect this movie to be as good as it is, especially because I saw it didn't do particularly well at the box office, lost a bunch of money, but great acting, 
by everybody in the film. Visually, less the parts that we talked about with the head-on racing scene. One particular shot at the end I the was not table. a fan of was when the... Oh. Huh? Nope, go ahead. Oh, it was when the uh, sub was sailing off and Gregory Peck was standing on top of it. And there was clearly just... They took a shot of him standing on the sub when it wasn't moving. I was like, okay, whatever, guys. But there was that. I liked the desolate streets of San Francisco. I thought that was really great. And then when I was watching it, I just kept thinking, I don't know. I I, tr- I was putting myself in the situation of uh, of our lieutenant, you know, because I'm a married man with a kid. I was like, my God, that's difficult. How... How do you deal with that? And I don't know. For whatever reason, this movie struck a chord with me. And I kept thinking if they remade this movie today, how it could be done, I think it would be much more gritty, probably a little bit more, uh, see a lot more corpses, make it more visceral. I guess we'll we'll find out. 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What comes to mind is Chernobyl, which I've recently watched and really enjoy. Uh, but man, this movie I think is great. I would recommend this to anybody, even if you don't like black and white films. Get over it. Go watch this movie. I'm giving it an eight. It's a good score. Nice. It's a good score. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll hop in here. Uh, I mean, uh, you you described it perfectly by saying you know you were surprised that it did so poorly at the box office. I mean, that that's evident that this was way ahead of its time. Um, I think we've talked in previous episodes how there was always this uh, thought that the movies, you know, need that, that hit the theaters need to be uplifting and poignant. And this one really broached those dark themes and the melancholy of facing an impending apocalypse. And sure enough, yeah, it performed poorly at the box office. And now I think there's a lot of respect for it now after the fact. Uh, it was it was slow moving. Um, in fact, I, I was not on board with this movie uh, for really the first half, like it took it, I, I was really struggling to, to, uh, keep my eyes on the screen. Um, it, uh, I think it caught its stride though, around the point where Peter acquired the suicide pills. Cause I could see the movie was going in a, in a direction we hadn't seen for some of these, you know, old black and white, um, submarine movies that we've watched. um, and the cinematography was incredible throughout, as you were alluding to. I, and as I mentioned, with there's like that bullet time, you know, kissing scene, which we had never seen anything like that in any of these other movies we've watched. And I, I, I'd be, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's, it's, if it's not out there. I mean, this might have been the first time we've ever seen kind of that 360 degree camera uh, with that acapella music playing in the background. It was like starting to really um, deliver. Uh, a strong, um, you know, romance and, and, and story gripping story where you started to care about the characters, uh, just as they are starting to come to grips with, uh, again, the melancholy of, of their impending death. Uh, and I also love the shot of the pool table, uh, with the bar proprietor when the bar emptied out and now there's nobody left in the bar. And, uh, he sets the, the empty tray with the glass of wine on the, on the table. And he goes and uh, finishes a, someone else's pool game that they had started. And uh, th- that shot looks incredible. And sure enough, uh, I, I hadn't pulled up the IMDb page until tonight. It's actually the first photo. If you go to IMDb, you can see a, a still of that 
uh, shot. It's it's a it's a pretty powerful uh, scene and, and image. Um, so yeah, it started slow, um, but uh, really the second half of the movie is very strong. And I think uh, Fred Astaire's character was was my favorite sort of uh, story arc um, with uh, the car. Um, it introduces the car that he obviously is his pride and joy, but you kind of wonder all along if this was always his intent to to die in the car. Um, and when he won the race and was kind of disappointed, uh, he ultimately kills himself. He gets the you know once he checks the radiation levels and and confirms like yep it it's it's here and it's only a matter of time now. He grabs uh, towels and he plugs every little air hole and and his barn doors there and. Uh, hops in his car, starts it up, and lays his head back. I thought that was unbelievable. Like, I couldn't believe I was seeing that in a movie from the 50s. So, um, I know. It's it's shocking, the things that they were doing. It really then. is. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, too, because like, even the 60s weren't necessarily know for, known for super subversive stuff. But, I mean, this is five years before Dr. Strangelove. And, like... It's like five, at, at least five years ahead of its time in terms of subject matter and how it's portraying stuff and stuff. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's Brian, it is based on a book. About the, so. uh, true. And Brian, you're talking about the shots and visually. I feel like we had a good claustrophobic feel inside that submarine. And for being back in the 50s, you know, it's not like you've got tiny cameras like GoPros and stuff where you can film professional footage like that mm -hmm. i mean it was very well done yeah and this one uh you know kind of unfortunately for our podcast it really kind of transcended the the submarine uh and i wish the submarine could have had a, a better role and bigger role to play in the film um but i think uh, it could have like I, and it's interesting too because i think part of it is being restricted by that by the book a little bit i mean i know even the author didn't love um kind of the changes that were made for the film and i think in the book it's maybe even less so like there's no submarine at the end of the book or anything like that. The submarine really just plays a role in the beginning and then in the middle and that's it. Uh, so it's not as central, but you could have imagined there being kind of this idea of prolonging life by going underwater and you're in the submarine with Moira uh, and going off. That could have been how they ended it. Um, but no, I mean, it is pretty still a pretty small portion of the film, the submarine portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relatively speaking. All right, well, yeah. I can jump in. Well, on... let me give it. Oh, he's got to give his rating. Oh, rating. Just... Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> Keep it very concise. I, very solid entry. I'm going to give it a seven. Whoa, really? I feel like tough grader. Tough grader. I I, I dropped it about a uh, about a half point there for our, uh, the, the again the 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 lack of this isn't a, a full you know classic submarine film. It's it's got submarines in it. It's not a submarine film. Well, I'm going to come in the highest. I love this film. I think it's a beautiful film. I think particularly the ending of it is just a really beautiful um, message and kind of what you get from what is otherwise a very bleak uh, ending uh, about love and life and how to live life and kind of the realization only when you're faced with uh, the ultimate demise uh, for the captain and everyone, just just what is beautiful about life and um, what's worth living for and stuff like that is just it's a really a powerful message we don't get from a lot of the films that we get to watch mm -hmm. um, from in in uh, submersion. Um, really enjoyed it. 
Um, I even enjoyed the submarine portions of it, as Kyle said. Like, it looked good. Like, the submarine stuff looked good. Like, when we opened on the submarine, I was like, man, even though this is only five seconds of this movie, it's like it, they're filming it. Like, like this is uh, run silent, run deep. We're on the submarine the entire time. Like, they're they're taking their effort for this portion as well. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the visuals of the empty uh, cities and particularly Melbourne with the people riding bikes and stuff like that. Um, just amazing to see something in 1959 filmed in 1959, uh, where you have something like that, where you're just like, you, you, you almost forget. I mean, I guess you, because it's from so long ago, you assume everything was just like by candlelight or something like that. But you look at this and you're like, wow, they really knew what they were up to. <laughs> Movies mm-hmm. were way, were way better and way more advanced than maybe are given credit. Cause you could make something like this. Like you could, they, they were able to create this. Um, so really enjoyed it. Thought the acting was amazing as well. Ava Gardner, uh, loved her, uh, really beautiful and really great in this movie. Um, Gregory Peck, Peck was great. I thought Fred Astaire was amazing. Um, so I just really enjoyed it. I think I would have given it a 10. It is a little lacking on the submarine of it. So I'm going to drop it down similar to enemy below. Um, I think that was another one that I just really enjoyed and thought was a really great movie. Just not a lot of submarine in enemy below or not as much, uh, submarine in enemy below, uh, or at least not the main uh, portion of that movie. So I dropped it down to a nine and a half. I'm going to drop this down to a nine and a half. Wow. Very yeah. respectable score. If you think I'm a tough grader, what do you think Zach would have gave this? <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends. Like I, one thing is I. <clears throat> Yeah, so I guess I guess I don't know what Zach would give it. I don't want to. I don't want to say like, oh, Zach, <laughs> just like Schlock probably would give it like a five. Um, no, I'm not making fun of Zach. I just know right. he doesn't give it much time before it's like, let's we're watching this sucker at 16 times speed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it took it took about half the movie for me to get fully invested in it. Uh, so I I don't know. I I see him going pretty low on this one. But I bet, I bet the other half of the gruesome twosome, Alex, I bet he would have liked this movie. That's my guess. Well, we'll have to see if they'll revisit it with a macro pod. Dun, dun, dun. Or just with next week's even longer version of the movie. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's too bad if <clears throat> that's the only version they get to see is the miniseries. It's got a comparable uh, rating on IMDb. I think the, the TV oh, really? one has a 7.0 and this one had a 7.2. So I hope I... Uh, I hope for the best. Uh, there's not that many ratings on it, I don't think, are there? Oh, yeah, it could be. All right. Yeah. Should I get into well, some we'll trivia? We'll bump that up. Trivia time? Go ahead. Yeah, let's do some All trivia, right. man. Movie was filmed in 1959. Uh, at the time of filming, the U.S. only had 49 states, which only lasted for one year, July 4th, 1959 to July 4th, 1960. The United States had 49 states. Uh, before that, it was 48. After that, 50. And so you can actually see a 49-star flag flying from the submarine in this movie. What was the 50th state? Hawaii? Good one, Kyle. It was Hawaii. I was going to guess Hawaii or Alaska. It is, yeah. But yeah, Alaska was 49. Then Hawaii came in at number 50. Uh, The U.S. Department of Defense and the United States Navy declined to cooperate in the production of this film, including access to a nuclear-powered submarine, which forced the film production to use a non-nuclear diesel-electric Royal Navy submarine, HMS Andrew. Uh, They were based in Australia until 1967 uh, when the uh, Royal Australian Navy commissioned its own submarine. So the only nuclear submarine... uh, So on the hull, it actually was designated 623, was painted on there. 
The only U.S. nuclear submarine with the hull 623 was the SSBN Nathan Hale, a ballistic missile submarine of the Lafayette class. So Nathan Hale was an American spy in the Revolutionary War who was hung by the British upon capture. He was named the official hero of what state in 1985? The Revolutionary War. What state was Nathan Hale from? I would think like Massachusetts or something. That's a good the one. Official hero of Massachusetts. Do you know how many heroes Massachusetts yeah, has? Get that's out of here. Tom Brady. Gotta go, gotta right? go a little more vague. I'm gonna go with New Hampshire. No, sorry, close though. Since it's all New England. No. Oh. <laughs> Connecticut. It's Connecticut. Ah. It is Connecticut. He has a bunch of statues in Connecticut because <clears throat> he was from Connecticut. It's actually kind of an interesting story if you read about him because he basically became a spy and like worked in intelligence for a little bit in the Revolutionary War. He went to become a spy and like literally 14 days later was caught and hung. So he was like, I'm going to infiltrate. Not a great spy, huh? It didn't work out super great. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, the film had its world premiere on December 17th, 1959 in more than 20 cities worldwide, including Moscow. It was the first time an American film had had a premiere in the Soviet Union. The special premiere in Moscow was held at a workers' club with 1,200 Soviet dignitaries, the foreign press uh, corps, and diplomats, including U.S. Ambassador Llewellyn Thompson. Gregory Peck and his wife traveled to the Soviet Union for the premiere. He was actually a noted um, pacifist. Uh, it also premiered in... Uh, 18 cinemas across seven continents on December 17th, 1959. Uh, And it even included a screening at the Little America base in Antarctica. So 1985, speaking of what uh, I said about Nathan Hale, 1985 is also the year that what Sly Stallone film premiered and officially ended, unofficially ended the Cold War. 1985 Sly Stallone film that unofficially ended the Cold War. It's got to be the the Rocky. First Blood? No, it's got to be Rocky. Which one though? Yeah, which Rocky uh, film? Which one had uh, uh, Rocky one had Dolph? Two? Rocky you think two? Dolph Lundgren was in Rocky Two? I don't. I didn't watch any of the Rocky movies. That is a mistake. It's Rocky Four, and it is okay. a classic. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess '85. I feel like all the Rockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Because they weren't right, coming out we'll, in the '90s when I was alive, so that would make sense. Right. It's got to be kind of the end of the Rockies. Uh, Neville Shoot originally collaborated with Stanley Kramer on the film, but soon realized that many of his ideas were not being incorporated, so he distanced himself from the project. He was absolutely enraged by the final film. Some say that his, this hatred of the film contributed to a fatal stroke a month after the film's premiere, which is a bit of a, a kind of a crazy thing that was listed on the IMDb trivia that somehow this film contributed to the death of the author of the book. Um, so I thought that was funny uh, that was listed. Uh, he was so. The question is: He was an aeronautical engineer that headed the R100 project for Great Britain. The R100 and R101 were successfully built and used until the R101 crash. Now, it was a type of transport that had a crash in the same year that several other similar transport types had crashes, including the USS Acheron, and then a famous example as well in New Jersey. What type of transportation was it? All right. It's a Zeppelin, not a blimp, right? Right. A dirigible or, or okay. Zeppelin. So the Hindenburg Gosh. is the one that crashed. Okay. But there were a bunch of others. The United States, one that crashed was the USS Akron. Uh, Great Britain had the R101, which crashed. Uh, Germany had the Hindenburg. And then there was another one, I think was a Canadian one or something that also crashed. So in the same year, all of these uh, dirigibles crashed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty crazy. They're cursed. 
The car Osborne drives in the race is a 1955 Ferrari 750 Monza Spider. It is one of only 35 built, and at the exact car sold at auction for over $2.5 million. In 2016, another example, uh, a more famous one, sold for $5.2 million. What other famous film featured a Ferrari Spider? At the end of which, one of the characters kicks the car, resulting in its destruction. Oh, man, I was looking up stuff for this, and I can't remember the name of the movie. I'll give you a hint. So he... Similar time ang- period? Something like the 80s. Something like that. It was It was basically... So it's a, it's a later version of the spider. So it was a much later version of the spider, an 80s mm. film. And the character is angry at his dad, who loves the car more than him, and kicks the car. And then it falls off of the thing that it's on and crashes through a window to its demise. Oh, is it like Ferris, Ferris Bueller or Bueller's something? Day. Ferris Bueller's was okay. a Ferrari spider. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> All right. And then finally, Phantom Zone. Engage the Phantom. Phantom's engaged, sir. So somehow, despite doing Phantom Zone Extraordinaire, or uh, where I did like 100 films, um, this one didn't connect immediately, so I had to go through it. Gregory Peck is in a film called The Sea Wolves uh, with Roger Moore. And it sounds kind of cool. It's about a bunch of old soldiers sent undercover to destroy a ship that they think is being used to send messages to U-boats. And of course, you can use Roger Moore to jump to a bunch of uh, different submarine films. So mm. that's one they'll use. Sea Wolves. Uh, cool. and then, I was looking at that movie. You think it's got some like decent sub action in uh, it? I don't know about decent sub action. The problem is, is that yeah. So it's a, it's about them like they're surface to, ships, right? But right? then th- there's definitely a note that says at the end a U boat surfaces. So it may be just the extent <laughs> of that. Um, That's one of those that they, they reference the submarine pens a lot, but we only see a little bit of <laughs> right. it at the very end. <laughs> and so, and then the final question of Phantom Zone: Where would Ed Harris? be appropriately used in this film uh he'd be maybe cool as the fred astaire character i think so you think fred astaire oh yeah yeah it's an interesting fact too because ed harris was actually briefly attached to the tv miniseries adaption of the book that the film that this that you know that this ended up that ended up being made in 2000 uh but that time when they were trying to make the miniseries it fell through uh because ed insisted that it actually be 24 parts so it'd been 24 hours long and take place in real time. So it's like a ticking clock in the corner, 24 hours long. <laughs> and he also changed the setting to modern day. And the plot was about a car- counter-terrorist unit. And his character would be attempting to prevent an assassination of a presidential candidate. Um, so it became kind of a, a crazy thing. Uh, but I, I'm sure it would have been a massive hit in the end. Uh, do you know what it was going to be called, by the way? That he changed the name of it. Do you know what it was going to be called? Uh, Ed's uh, Day Out. Close. Uh, it was called On the Beach with Ed Harris. And do you know why? Do, do you know why? Do you know why I was called On the Beach of with Ed Harris? Do you know why? Because uh, it was On the Beach with Ed Harris. Um, again, very close. But it's because uh, Ed, the entire movie, Ed is uh, shirtless and greased up. And every time someone sees him, they're like, "Are you just coming from the beach?" Because you're like shirtless and you're greased up. And he gets to use his catchphrase at that point. And his catchphrase is, uh, "No, but you, you're about to." Uh, get on the beach with Ed Harris and let's pound some dweebs. <laughs> <laughs> so. There you go, man. Uh, I got to do it that time without yeah, laughing. You got it. It <laughs> 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 sounded like it was in jeopardy. 
kind of stumbled Pound a little dweebs, bit. Pound some baby. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I actually, I forgot something with my review. Can I quickly jump back to that real quick? Yeah, go for it. Sure. I thought really the, the most touching moment was when he got back on the submarine and he was facing his men and he pulled out his dick and it was all like radioactive <laughs> and gross. And they were like, you know what? We're all just men here. Like you can put that away. And he put it away. And, but you could see in their eyes, they were like relieved because they're like, oh boy, <laughs> did not good, look good. Well, it was a pretty cool shot too because it was just of his back. Mm-hmm. And then you, you hear him unzip his pants and then there's just this giant glow coming from it. And then it's bullet time around his back to <laughs> finally show the scene. Yeah. They use that same camera rig. You're like, mm-hmm. oh my God. It's pretty amazing. Hell of a shot. I thought, I thought you were going to say that they were going to be like, oh, we're all guys here feel free to continue to air that sucker out. Yeah. Or everybody <laughs> right. just did it. We're just human beings. No one's the captain here anymore. We're human beings. They're like, yeah. and there's like one guy that's holding out that doesn't, is still just like not wanting to whip it out because he's embarrassed. And, and they're like, there's still time, brother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's an on the beach reference, guys. It is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. It's it's sub sub world world wide wide wide. As you probably picked up as we've been going through the episode, today's subs worldwide doesn't feature subs at all. Seems it's, like a trend. I know we we haven't done it in a while. I mean, I've done a lot of subs, guys, a lot, and the sub wasn't even the coolest vehicle in this movie. It was for sure Fred Astaire's 1955 750 Monza Spider. Welcome to Ferraris Worldwide. So, as Jamie had mentioned, this is one of 35 cars Monza Spiders ever built, and it did sell for over $2.5 million at auction. So it was supposed to go for, people were thinking, over three and a quarter. Maybe came up a little bit short, but whatever. So this was this was uh, an actual Monza Spider because when I mentioned the one from Ferris Bueller's, it was a mock because obviously they destroyed it, so it wasn't going to be a real Spider. Yeah, this is this is a real one. So that the car that yeah he drove in this film was sold at auction. It's a real car. And back in the 1950s, Ferrari decided to introduce a new line of four-cylinder cars that would compete in the World Championship for sports cars. And that started in 1953. They won their inaugural year. They came back. 1954, champions once again. 1955, they built the 750 Monza Spider. They packed 250 horsepower into a 1,675 pound body. And as we saw in the movie, that uh, the model that he was driving was the Scaglietti's. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that very incorrectly. She had the super cool headrest, um, you know, built into the car. Not all the versions did. The car won its very first race, but ultimately could not hold off against the Mercedes 300 SLR in the World Championship. For sports cars, 1955, they came up short. And now, the movie's black and white. You might be wondering, what color is that car? Come on, guys. What color is that car? Any guesses? What color is the car that was in this movie? Yeah. It was. It's not white? Because it's black and white, so we can't tell what you're saying? Yeah. 
Uh, maybe yellow, then. It's got to be something light-colored, right? I'm guessing a nice pastel green. It is red. Really? What? Yes. And so there was something interesting with the uh, Ferrari red that they've been come to known for. I should have, I should have actually known that's the color of the car in Ferris Bueller's yeah. red. And I found an article on Mental Floss titled 11 Fast Facts About Ferrari from mm. Jenny Peters, September 2nd, 2015. So they mentioned the Ferrari red is very famous, but not necessarily by Ferrari's choice. So red was assigned to Italian race cars by the International Automobile Federation, and it's just kind of stuck with Ferrari. It's one of the most popular selling colors. I think it's like 45% of all Ferraris sold are red. Uh, Something with this car is a promising, famous racer, Alberto Ascari, had 13 wins in 33 races, won two Formula One championships, died testing or driving this 750 Monza. And the one that was sold at auction, the one that Fred Astaire had in the movie, you hear a lot of times about a leather interior in a car. This one had a snakeskin interior. I don't... Whoa. I don't like, it's a lot of snakes. Is that before but, or after Nick Cage bought it? That's a darn good question. <laughs> Nick would buy it. It was redone. Somebody redid it. In black leather. Nick would buy it as if he wouldn't buy it. Obviously, Nick Cage would buy this. Yeah. He'd buy Come it, on. but he'd switch it back to snakeskin. And in 2018, Ferrari introduced the Monza SP1 and SP2, modeled after the 750 and 860, and they look really cool. If you have the internet, which I know you do, go and look them up. They are. Uh, <laughs> go check them out. Are they cherry, uh, would you say? A what? Cherry. Isn't that a term that people use for cars? Cherry? Maybe it is. I don't mm-hmm. know. You don't sound uh, like much of a gearhead over there. No, I'm not. I am not. My brother-in-law is, but unfortunately, yeah. I am Cherry not. red, yeah. There you go. Uh, and a couple more fun facts from that article. So World War II delayed the release of the first ever Ferraris. Um, mainly because the Ferrari factory was bombed by Allied forces not once, but twice. And in 2013, the chairman of Ferrari said that they were going to limit production to only 7,000 cars a year because they didn't want to inundate the market with Ferraris. They like the exclusivity and the, you know... Every, everything that goes with that, making a luxury brand. But the new chairman... I got to say, you're making me want to buy a Ferrari, and I'm a little worried. Are they a sponsor? Uh, uh, they should be. Hmm. If we can all get one. Well, maybe we'll be able to, because it looks like... It's, it's funny. They said they ramped up production to 7,200 cars. It's like, hmm. okay, um, 200 more. But it looks like eventually they're going to be trying to go to 10,000 cars per year. So maybe we'll all get one one day, right? 
Um, I think we should just get one and then we can all drive it around together like best friends. <laughs> cool. There's a lot of room in them. That's what they're known for, actually, is the roominess. <laughs> really? They don't look big from the outside, but yeah, you can pack like three people in there. Really? Can you get a, a baby seat in there? Yeah. Yep. Whoa. I know. It's pretty cool. I might have to get like a sidecar thing for it, though. Just for the baby? Yeah. Hang, hang out the car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, right? Mm. Put a hitch on it. Tow a trailer. Go camping. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe just put it in the trailer in the back. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. But that's all I got for uh, Ferraris Worldwide. All right. I feel Very like good. that's uh, So there they go. End of the episode. No more segments left. Oh, yep. Wait, oh. guys. Wait, wait. No. Uh. Oh. <laughs> And one, two, three, stop recording. No, no, <laughs> wait. Um, quick fun fact for you. Uh, there's one other movie that the three, just the three of us were on, and we gave it the exact same scores. Really? What? I, I gave it a seven, Kyle gave it an eight, and Jamie gave it a 9.5, and it has been mentioned on this episode. Do you know was what it, it was is? It, was it Enemy Below? It was Enemy Below. <laughs> Sounds about wow. right. Wow. Yeah. So for the countdown tonight, though, uh, completely unrelated to that, uh, but we are... Uh, Two, three, ready to fire, oh. sir. Commence the countdown. Give it to me. Thank you for that. Sorry for talking over that. Uh, Going to do a little cross-promotion tonight. Um, I was able to help uh, some guys I went to high school with. Uh, got uh, one of them set up with a microphone so they could do a podcast that they've been doing throughout the uh, quarantine. Uh, pretty good activity for, for times like this. Uh, but they've got a podcast uh, that you can check out called A Beer's Worth of Banter. Uh, so theme of the podcast is they crack a beer and they chat until they finish their beer. Uh, they, they cover mostly uh, sports uh, and then some various bits of pop culture like uh, movies and music and things like that. But uh, they always wrap up each episode with a six-pack as uh, their form of a countdown. So near and dear to my heart, the three of them go around the, the round table there on a different topic each week that they prepare beforehand, and they run down their top sixes. So they've done like their top six uh, athletes and top six video games and things like that. But they did one that was kind of adjacent to what we're doing here. They did a top six war films. So I'm going... I mean, that's a really big category here. It Rock. is a very, a very big category. In fact, it, it gets... A, <laughs> some some took, I'd say, too many liberties. Uh, so Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Return <laughs> exactly. of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> actually, um, let's just do... Let's just throw all nine of the Star Wars in there, including... And then, you know, two more with Solo and all that. So already I'm, I got past top ten. <laughs> yes, wow. there, is, there is a member of the podcast. Uh, he's one of the, the late comers to the series, one of the, the hosts that joined uh, a few episodes in, and he's just one of those Mistake. guys like, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you want to hate him, but you, you, you tell some of the best <laughs> stories, and he's, uh, he's pretty great. But uh, he, uh, he definitely derailed uh, his top six with a Star Wars film. But uh, neither here nor there. I'm going to tell you each of their top sixes, and I want you guys to tell me which of them – if uh, treated almost like a desert island disc, who do you most agree with if you can only take one of their groups of six uh, war films, okay? So we got the three hosts. Their names are Keith, 
Columbo and Joe. All right. So Keith's top six war films are Uncommon Valor. Actually, I don't know this one. Is this one that you're familiar with? It actually Never is not. I, I, I've heard of it vaguely, but I actually don't yeah. know much more and about it. I listened that. to the episode. I don't remember what he said about it. I usually am working, so uh, sometimes I'm very tuned in, and sometimes I, I kind of have to tune a little bit out. But don't remember what they said about that one. Uh, ah, last little, little, little Gene Hackman. Oh, okay. The Sways is also Yeah, that, that sounds... I, that actually sounds uh, familiar now. I think I do remember him talking about that. And then the next one on his was Last Full Measure. Okay. Full Metal Jacket. 1917. Troy. They were uh, they were oozing over uh, Brad Pitt. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> and number one, he uh, he gave it to Inglorious Bastards. Well, I love Inglorious Bastards. Now Columbo. His top six were Top Gun, and they gave him a hard time on that, uh, saying that they probably loved it just because of the uh, volleyball scene. Uh, Obviously. I was going to ask, is that a war movie, though? Yeah. Seems like it seems more like a peacetime movie. Okay. You could argue that. Again, Columbo it's took like some liberties. He took some liberties. Uh, and just as a forewarning, you know, we're, we're an NSFW podcast. They are as well. And they get a little bit into the, lo- the locker room talk as, as, as we hear it called nowadays. So if that's not for you, then this podcast may not be for you as well. But uh, they gave them a hard time, riffed on them a little bit uh, for Top Gun, Saving Private Ryan, Full Metal Jacket as All well. Right. Then, and then he went with Star Wars Episode 4. Right. Took him a while to okay. figure out which one that he was liking because he didn't understand the, the numbering convention, but uh, number four is what he was talking about. The Hurt Locker, which he also got riffed for. Uh, and then he's got, for number one, he picked two movies. So again, this guy's a loose Wait, cannon. Sorry, why was he, why Why did they make fun of him for Hurt Locker? Um, I think they were saying that uh, they didn't think it was like a they, they thought Jeremy Renner was maybe, I forget, I something with... Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm not curious. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to go into specifics of it, but I'm just saying, look, because that clearly is a war movie. And, and again, it, it was just riffing. I don't think they, yeah. they, they said Hurt Locker is a fine movie, but they were giving him a hard time for it. Uh, number one, he, he split, though, uh, Letters to Iwo Jima and Life is Beautiful. Okay. And then Joe's top six was Jarhead, Saving Private Ryan, Dunkirk, Black Hawk Down, Apocalypse Now, and Full Metal Jacket. So no platoon, no platoons across the board. No platoon across the board, and they all wow. got Full Metal Jacket. And no one, no one was like Casablanca war movie. Let's go. Well, there's a, there's a bigger uh, omission from this list, and that's any submarine movie whatsoever. Yeah, true. Come on, man. What about a little Das Boot action? So, what about some Braveheart? I'm going to guess none of them have seen Das Boot because uh, Das Boot oh would definitely be on gosh. my top six. So, now would these guys count like Gladiator as a war movie? Because there's that war scene in the well, beginning. It sounds like Columbo definitely would. Okay. Uh, but maybe Keith had uh, Troy on there, but that 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 is. I mean, that is a. Uh, you know, Greek war movie. I have my choice. Okay. It's my list that I just made up in my head. No, uh, oh, the last one, yeah. the, third, the third one, I think is the one I'd go with. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I think same I here. I agree with with Joe's uh, choices as well. Those are all um, ones that I have seen and uh, enjoyed. Um, there are so many though. You can you you really need to break that down into even further categories. Like I yeah, think that you could, could almost be, go like World War II and stuff like that. You could yeah. do World War II specifically uh, Normandy stuff and probably be able to get a, a six out of it. Like just in terms of films that have dealt with that particular thing. You could do submarine films. You could do Holocaust things that have dealt with the Holocaust because obviously Schindler's List. I mean, that is not a traditional war movie. It's not like you have battles and stuff like that, but it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Like, it's it's sure. probably in my top five movies I've ever seen. And so to yep. leave that off my list would be hard. Now, obviously, I'm not going to pop that into my desert island and enjoy it every day. Like, that might be no. tough to deal with. But uh, um, Yeah, that'd be my number one. I mean, if we're counting that as a war movie, so... And that's where you get the caveats in there of like, you could just start breaking them down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could you like count something like Jurassic Park as a war movie, right? Man's <laughs> war against his desire to change things that maybe shouldn't be changed. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Then I think you're just getting into themes there where, I mean, just about every movie is good versus evil and you can say everything's a war movie. Yeah. All right. Not not every movie. Come on. Well, I mean, I'm I'm watching Mr. Well, guess, D. Yeah. I'm watching Shrek. Mr. D's right now on IMDb Free TV. I mean, that could be a war yeah. against the wealthy and empowered. True. Uh, I mean, you Very can true. You can stretch that any uh, direction. What about you want. Predator Two? Just Danny Glover at war with Predator. Yeah, and it's, a, it's there's also within that there's a war against the voodoo gang that is not at all yeah, racist. Dude. So don't and worry the, about it. The cocaine dudes at the beginning. That is. All right. All this, I know that just came out of nowhere, but that, like, first 10 minutes in that movie is some of the most intense action you're ever going to see in any movie, ever, right? So you're a huge fan of Predator 2. Oh, yeah. Just watch that opening scene. When that guy has a fistful of cocaine and smashes it in his face, and then he's like, grabs his rifle, you're like, this guy is... He's about to go do something. Yeah. And I think he just gets gutted by the Predator. I think it was last year we watched Predator 2 for BadMovieTwins.com. That's BadMovieTwins.com. And I am horrified that you like that movie. Oh, come on. (laughs) It's not good. It's amazing. Lee Bad. Yeah, it's true. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on, Jamie. I think I'd have to give a nod to uh, Valkyrie, which is a movie we always tease about how much I love Valkyrie-style movies. So I think I'd have to give... uh, Tom Cruise giving no no effort for an accent. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nazi Tom Cruise with an eye patch running around trying to blow up Hitler. That's that movie, You know what? Actually, again, is that a sponsor for the podcast? Because you just sold me. Thank you for listening to Submersion. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating wherever you listen. Want to interact with us? Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also love to get messages from all of you. If you have a suggestion, a comment, or just anything you'd like to share, please email us at maceaststudios at gmail.com. Okay. You guys ready? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm, mm, oh.
Nothing, Jamie? I'm just, I'm poised for my woo. 